Hello and welcome back to When You Think Taylor Swift. I'm Madeline. I'm Hannah. And this week, we hope you think of the Enneagram. Woo! Today we've got a rich show planned for you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be talking about Taylor Swift's, what we think her Enneagram is. We're going to be talking about her chart a little bit, her astrological chart. Some hot takes that you can only get here on this podcast. (laughs) These are original takes for real. Uh, Especially with the Enneagram. Um, And then we're going to, you know, if you stick around through that, we will be discussing April 30th, which if you have been on the internet at all, you will probably have a thought about what's going to happen on April 30th. (laughs) don't know but still no everyone knows (laughs) supposedly which we've kind of been on this thread for a while but supposedly april 30th third album in the folklore evermore trilogy stay around and we'll talk (laughs) uh but we're gonna start off um we're gonna start with astrology we're gonna start there yeah so hannah and i are just we're both astrology enneagram fiends general Mm -hmm. personality test lovers and we've never really taken the time to dive into taylor's very much and so we figured that today's episode was a perfect chance to do a little digging so we shall present our findings now we shall (laughs) and i will say (laughs) i will say that we are both um more in the the Enneagram universe than deep in the astrology universe. I would say I'm like a couple steps beyond CoStar, but they're small steps. So we're not going to go like that deep into it. I'm not going to, I don't have anything to say about Taylor's like houses or anything. So if you, listener, Mm -hmm. are an astrologer or you got some thoughts, you're deeper in this, send them in. We are more the the pallbearers. I think that's yes. something that's at a funeral, but we are, <laughs> we are the bearers of this Anyway. Chaotic. So, chaos. This is a chaotic episode. Okay. So we'll start with the big three. Taylor is a Sag Sun, Capricorn Rising, Cancer oh, Moon. Yeah. I'm going to stop you there. This is stop my first interjection. <laughs> so, dear listeners, I just came back from my grandparents' house. And it's like two hours away. And on the ride back, I listened to a two hour and 30 minute podcast about Taylor Swift's astrology on one and a half times speed (laughs) because I just couldn't. But anyways, um, about Taylor Swift's astrology from two astrologers and they introduced to me the great Taylor Swift rising sign debate. Oh, do tell. (laughs) I shall pray tell now. (laughs) Apparently, what is commonly used by lots of quote-unquote lazy astrologers is that her rising is Capricorn. Mm -hmm. But these astrologers on this podcast called the Twin Fire Signs Podcast, if you're interested, they are astrologers going through Taylor Swift's discography. They say that she's actually a Scorpio rising. Interesting. Yes. So, Do they have her birth time? How did they get that? (laughs) (laughs) So the most specific birth time that exists on the internet is 5.17 p.m. And so that that makes her a Scorpio. But most people just like put in this... The, just I like don't the know, date, what I guess. Because if thing? you don't have the time, yeah. then it's, yeah. I think if you just do the date, then it becomes a Capricorn rising. Mm-hmm. But they went through this whole debate about just presenting their case for why Scorpio rising makes more sense. And I cannot really give you that debate <laughs> verbatim. <laughs> but 
Um, they felt very passionately that she makes more sense as a Scorpio rising, but you could fit her into either. So interesting. So yeah, I mean, I had her as a Capricorn rising, which she has, if, if we're taking that to be true, then she has a Capricorn stellium in her chart. So she has four planets in Capricorn. I think that was true either way. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, she's got big Capricorn energy though. Like that really tracks for me. Like, especially if, I mean, even taking no, let's let's say even if the rising is there, then the two like biggest signs in Capricorn for her are her rising and her Mercury. And so your rising is like how you come off to the world. Your Mercury is about how you communicate. So that really tracks for interviews and stuff. I was thinking about that. Like she comes off really closed off in interviews. Like we rarely, especially now, get a Taylor Swift interview that's like really like remember I don't remember what what this was for but remember she did an interview with like maybe Rolling Stone or something and she was like driving the interviewer in a car and they like got into a fender bender and she was like I don't know I just got my license like this is kind of hard to drive um I do not remember that but I want to read it I think about it yeah so like thinking really critically about like how she comes across and wanting to come across as like hardworking, as like the boss the whole, you know, narrative about Taylor Swift. Exactly. I wrote The Man as a whole. The kind of, the the long-going conversation about if Taylor Swift is calculated or not really tracks with all the Capricorn in her chart. But yeah, that's where I'm seeing the cap for her. It's interesting because as someone who is a Capricorn and straddles a lot of Sagittarius in my, in my head, mm-hmm. if nothing else, I consider myself a Capricorn Sagittarius cusp, be it that the stars may disagree. But, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, I mean, all of the obvious stuff, like she's really ambitious and she cares a lot about her career, all of that stuff we know to be true. Some of the things that I found more interesting that were kind of niche that these astrologers were talking about were something called years of perfection. And I never heard of that before, but apparently you're always in a perfect year in a different house on your Mm, chart. okay. Okay. So you start in house one when you're zero and then you go to house two house three house four up till 12 and then they repeat again so it's not like really specific to you it's like everybody at a certain age is in a certain house but anyways it's really interesting because the house that she is in right now at 31 Mm -hmm. is I'm pretty sure it's her eighth house don't count me on that but the point is that the house is all about other people's property and things that belong to other people, which is really, really interesting, right? Because she is doing these re-records because something is owned by someone else, that being her masters, that she wants back. So she <laughs> is spending her 31st year of life trying to take back someone else's property, which she believes to be rightfully hers. Yeah. So that was a pretty interesting that thing is interesting. that I thought. Yeah. I also, I like that she has a Cancer moon. That really tracks. Born with the moon in Cancer. Choose her a name. She will answer too. Call her green. Anyways. Um, I, I, also, I, was, um, I was just going to say that on the podcast, they were also saying that people with moons in Cancer love their moms. Yeah. I mean, that tracks. <laughs> let's skip let's over talk- to Venus and Aquarius. Yeah, tell us let's just do it. Well, I'm interested in this because like my kind of like reading about Venus and Aquarius is like kind of unconventional, liking unconventional people, feeling kind of like bubbly and effervescent about love, but also really pursuing a like title caps, nothing has ever felt this way energy. But as a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. As a um, Venus and Aquarius yourself, what are your thoughts? 
Um, I, I always interpreted it that way too, like having particular like quirks and things that you love and think are really compelling and interesting in a hyper specific way, which I do see that for Taylor in terms of like, even if we think beyond romance, like just, she really hyper fixates on things that she loves and they're very specific. It makes me think of the, in Miss Americana when she's like, everything about me, sparkles, (laughs) glitters, gay pride, cats. Whatever, all those things. Everything that makes me me. Gay pride makes me me. Yeah, (laughs) which we will continue to to discuss Mm. later. But anyways, this thing that like everyone in the Taylorverse like knows these very specific and kind of idiosyncratic things that she loves. We know that she has these very specific things that she likes. And I like that and respond to that too. What they Mm. were also saying on this podcast with these astrologers was that they said that the planet that your Aquarius is associated with is what you're most inspired to make art about. And the fact that her Venus is in Aquarius makes total sense because she has made a career out of making art inspired by love in all of its different forms. And I think it goes back to what we've been talking about since even the first podcast Mm -hmm. about her like making love to the feeling. Yeah, And I think that makes perfect sense with the Venus in Aquarius. Yeah. I also, then when I was reading about the Venus in Aquarius, I just had a flashback to like a conversation that we had about Venus in Aquarius. And you were like, I love the court jester. And that's what (laughs) Venus in Aquarius means to me. Well, I do have to say, okay, Harry Styles is an Aquarius, which like, oh, you want to talk makes absolutely perfect sense. He is the court jester. He is all those wonderful idiosyncratic things. I, for the record, Absolutely never believe that Harry Styles and Taylor Swift dated. I do think that they share an intimate connection and have some sort of relationship. I do not believe it was a romantic one and I can't see that. But the fact that he's an Aquarius and her Venus is an Aquarius, that to me is my first tie that I can see. Like I can see how something interesting and intimate could be built off of those things. Mm -hmm. I was also doing some research. I did some deep dive articles on weird astrology websites that have like really bad HTML, but they, Do they ever were all have good HTML. No, if only they had seen us in our Tumblr phases when we edited the mouse to have sparkles across glitter, glitter mouse, baby code that also her Mars is in Scorpio in addition to potentially her rising, which picture to burn is Mars and Scorpio because Mars is all about aggression and sex. And as far as I'm concerned, you're just another picture to burn. It's interesting, though, because in an article I read that was talking about her and Joe's compatibility, they were talking Mm. about how strangely her Mars and Joe's Venus are very compatible. It's interesting because usually like the Venus is the planet associated with the woman and the Mars is the planet associated with the man, which really tracks with all of Mm -hmm. Joe's movie roles being a cuckolded man. And Mm -hmm. anyways, I just like that energy for the two of them and whatever they are. It's a cool data point. Yeah. Um, I also, speaking of um, relationship astrology for Taylor, I found an article about um, Carly and Taylor. Um, this is our first uh, Carly mention on the pod, I think. We talked about Gayla. How is that possible? I don't Emily know. Emily Poe. We've talked about Emily Poe has gotten more airtime than Carly Kloss. What alternate universe is this? Anyways, so lots to come on Carly Kloss. We'll have like a seven part episode about Carly Kloss, honestly, and each episode will be six hours. So prepare yourself yeah. for that one. But I was reading this article and it was like the reasons why Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss aren't friends anymore, astrology wise, which 
Okay, friends. But anyways, I'm going to read you a quote about their deal. So Carly's a Leo, and that's kind of like where they're coming at this from. But a light friendship would have been ideal, but not a close, intimate one. I think Taylor was too eager to help Carly, and she might have overdone it. She gave too much advice that sometimes was unsolicited, and it bothered Carly. Carly also felt like she couldn't be her real self with Taylor, which brought a lot of discomfort and arguments. Does this feel like not so wrong? I'm just like, whatever happened between the two of them, it was not that Taylor tried to help too much and Carly Mm -hmm. was like, please, let's just be delicate friends. I mean, I do believe that like maybe Taylor was way too intense and totally. I'm just like, get a clue. Some of this astrology stuff, I'm just like, get a clue starring Lindsay Lohan with iconic Y2K outfits. Get a clue. My last real note about her astrology world is that she had her Saturn return during Reputation Era, which is like the most, like if anyone's ever had a Saturn return, it was Taylor Swift having her Reputation Era. Also just fun astrological tidbits. Joe is a Pisces. And in an interview back in 2017 uh, with Teen Vogue, Taylor was wearing a Pisces ring, a la an allusion to Joe. Yeah. And that was pretty early on in their date. That is early. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little brief on Taylor's astrology. Shall we move to Enneagram and engage in a fierce Enneagram debate? (laughs) That was good. That wasn't even planned. Um, Yes, we should. So... Madeline and I are both deep in the Enneagram world. Um, Do you want to give like just a, a brief synopsis of the Enneagram? Yeah. So the Enneagram is a personality test. It is significantly better objectively than all of the other ones um, because it wasn't founded on eugenics, but you know, um, or conservative Christianity. Anyways, the test is you get sorted into one of nine types. You are given a number and the Enneagram's bit is like, about your base motivations, fears, desires. So your type one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you can be just like a straight up and down number, or you can have a wing, which means like you tend towards one of the two numbers at your side. So for example, I am a four wing three, which means I'm a four, but I have some three tendencies. So yeah. And every number also generally has like a name associated with it. Like the four is the individualist. The two is the helper. The three is the achiever. Those are the ones I remember off the top of my head. Enthusiast. Yes. Nine is the peacemaker. Yeah. I think just part of what I think makes the Enneagram so compelling and really come alive. I say like, um, MBTI, things like that are just a gateway drug. Even astrology, cough, cough, sorry. It's just a gateway drug to the Enneagram, which is like the creme de la creme. What makes it so compelling and interesting is that these numbers lie on a circle and they're all mm-hmm. interconnected and they all depend on one another. And you have bits and seasons where you take on characteristics of other numbers and they are so essential to you. And Mm -hmm. it's this really holistic system where once you start to understand it, it gives you such a broader lens to interact with the people around you and how you're Mm -hmm. all interconnected through these kind of personality modalities. They're not fixed. They are mutable, but there are core tendencies that all of us are drawn to, but it's not determined by something like the stars as romantic as that is. It's just really something that you decide for yourself and is an amazing prompt for introspection. And also it just is a lot more intuitive in my, in my perception because 
it's just a great tool to understand yeah. people in the world around you. So let's just start it off at the top here by making our, our first claim, which is that Taylor Swift is a one. I think Taylor's a one. I really Which do. is, for context, a pretty out there statement because the mm-hmm. broad consensus on the internet seems to be that Taylor Swift is an Enneagram three. So we'll kind of present aspects of why we think she could be each, but both of us have always kind of come down on the side that she is a one mm-hmm. and that's a minority opinion. So we're going to flout yeah. our case. Hot takes as always, nothing but hot takes on this pod. Get them. Yeah. Hot and ready. <laughs> hot pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work at the Target Cafe and I would make these little tiny Pizza Hut pizzas and hold them in a hot hole, just like my Enneagram theories. So. <laughs> and I, at that same Target, was a cashier and during my breaks, Madeline and I would shove hot pizza down our throats in the back of the cafe. I would literally stick like an entire breadstick down my throat in the <laughs> freezer where they kept the Starbucks cookies because I was so scared that they would catch me. So if you need someone to deep throat a breadstick, I am. (laughs) You know who to call. Yeah. So anyways, some more hot takes in addition to our uh, hot pizzas. Um, So (laughs) I might make ideas like my pizzas in my hot hole. Okay. Oh, my God. (laughs) Taylor Swift is a one. Okay. So so let's let's talk talk about ones generally. Sure. Okay. You talk. Oh my god. So Taylor is a one. Um and ones are the reformer. Ones are called the reformers. Um so a thing with the Enneagram too is that you get basically a basic they every type has a basic fear and a basic desire. So for one, the basic fear is of being like bad, um, morally bad or like doing a bad job. And their basic desire is to be good, to have integrity. Like those are the things that motivate them. Um they want to be right, they want to like improve things. <clears throat> They want to be consistent. Um, they want to be beyond criticism. They don't want to ever be condemned by anyone. And all of those to me feel like big time Taylor Swift vibes. Yeah. And big time Taylor Swift vibes that are beyond the like artifice of celebrity. Mm-hmm. And I think like real fans know that to be, to me, that just seems like her core motivation, like her core motivating mm-hmm. desire is to strive for a sense of when I think of Enneagram ones. What most defines them to me is their sense of justice. Mm-hmm. They are the sign that is fixated on justice. And it is not justice in the typical paradigm of right and wrong. It is justice as they see fit, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. their own self-conception and conception of the world deems correct. Like my mother is a one. She has very strong opinions about like potentially something that is technically against the rules. Like she had a big freak out when we were younger about wanting us to take in our go-gurts to uh, (laughs) a performance of Disney on ice. And it was against the rules to bring in outside snacks because they wanted you to pay for their extremely overpriced snacks in the theater. And she thought that that was absolutely morally wrong 
And so she encouraged us to stuff Gogurts in our pockets and walk <laughs> past the security guards, which we were then apprehended by, because technically it was the quote unquote wrong thing to do. It was against the rules. But she believed so strongly that it was right that she used her six-year-old children as Gogurt <laughs> mules. So that's kind of just a small example of the fact that ones have their own conceptions of the world and what's right and wrong. And they're very fixated on seeing those seeing those through. And to me, that says Taylor so much. And that seems like something that really motivates her through something. I mean, what could be more clear than the re-records that we're living Mm -hmm. through right now and her defiant streak to pursue what is right to her artists owning their own work, Mm -hmm. having control of her masters at the expense of tarnishing her reputation, potentially cough, cough. And just like, that it's an extremely hard thing to do. She's swimming against the current of what is mm-hmm. expected of artists. And she's doing it anyways. And she is yeah. so strident and firm in her belief that that to me just screams one energy. And it's like really that it's not new, right? Like another thing with ones is like really feeling mission driven. This is something, you know, Taylor, remember she took off her, her music off of Spotify and like, 2015 maybe like I don't know way before any of this um and like has always been a big proponent of artists owning their art and has also always really fully believed that like her music is her art um Mm -hmm. and is not just like something that she is just like shooting out into the world without any thought behind it like she really has has felt that way forever um which also feels very very one I think we can trace it back even further, right? Mm -hmm. To like the boys, like we think about debut and something like picture to burn about being so just fervent Mm -hmm. and righteous in your belief Mm -hmm. that someone has burned you. And it's like, yeah, sure. We all get that way. And that's also to some degree. And that definitely is like a trope of country music, but to stand so firmly in your disavowal of someone when you're like 16, 15 is pretty remarkable Mm -hmm. and to pen a discography based in that. And I think even like in Taylor's faults, like when we look at something like better than revenge, that to me is such a one song and her kind of slut shamey tendencies in that song and the whole, um, no amount of vintage dresses gives you dignity. Like that's a weird kind of one sense of justice thing, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like that's a commonly held belief or something (laughs) like that. Like vintage dresses equal bad. (laughs) And this whole fixation on like dignity that like these vintage dresses don't give you dignity. That is just like a weird idiosyncratic one sense of justice that like you're bad. I'm good. And we can see because of this weird architecture that I've created in my brain. Mm -hmm. And we can see that in the fact that Enneagram one stress to a four Mm -hmm. in this kind of like messy, emotional unraveling about who's right and who's wrong. And I think better than revenge is a really good example of a one disintegrating to a four and calling someone out in ways that maybe aren't actually appropriate or a real sense of right and wrong, but were the paradigm that she was kind of working with at that moment. Totally. The title caps Taylor Swift thing that feels that to me really solidified that she is a one is like the whole Kanye thing. That was just like the most 
one thing that has ever happened. We don't need to relitigate everything that happened there because it was really long. But her her beef there was that she felt like her words were being twisted, that she mm-hmm. didn't have ownership of her narrative. But she felt like she really, she did not double down. She like quintupled down on all of that shit. You know, like she, there were so many notes apps posting at one point on Instagram. There was so much, so many songs about it. Like she really felt so firmly convicted about her position in that whole debacle. And even when then like that really turned upside down on her and then led to the whole like Taylor Swift is over party, you know, she still stuck to it. She was not willing to. And even though that was something that like really clearly hit on a deep fear of hers, which she talked about in the Miss Americana documentary of like people not liking her, like, and not, not just not liking her, but not thinking that she is good in her worldview she was so convicted about her perception of events and her participation in events with Kanye that she just was like, she was, she believed that she was right. And she believed that what had happened to her was true. And so she like really stuck to it. And I mean, when you want to talk about like her naysayers too, right. And like, what is the biggest gripe about Taylor Swift is that she plays the victim. Mm -hmm. And that is, if you have an interpretation of an Enneagram one like that, or if an Enneagram one is disintegrating this, this victim thing of being like other people have wronged me because of X, Y, Z is very one. It's just a mm-hmm. very one conception of the world that there are actions and people who are right and actions and people who are wrong. And the way that that paradigm of thinking, how that, what that comes from is a deep fear inside that you yourself are are doing wrong right. or that you might per- be perceived as evil or bad or whatever it might be. And I think you're totally right that like she has talked about Kanye at the VMAs as such a integral trauma in mm-hmm. her life and that that kind of set the rest of her career down a different path. And that that's exactly the Enneagram one's deepest fear of being called bad mm-hmm. or less than perfect publicly. Yes. And that's exactly what Kanye did for other reasons and with other goals. But to her as an Enneagram one, that was how it was seen. Mm-hmm. And this whole like trying to live and the, with the, her core motivation being to be seen as good and honorable and always, especially in those early days, being like so sweet, so shocked, so, mm-hmm. so goody goody in all these interviews that kind of eventually made people turn on her. But when we can see her through the lens of an Enneagram one, that was her deep desire to have her goodness be seen and reflected back to her. And it kind of was misinterpreted or just got tangled up into this huge web. But we can see where she was coming from if we look at it through the lens of the Enneagram. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's like a real thing with with ones and also with Taylor that there's kind of like a struggle to have an intrinsic value or like an intrinsic sense of yourself beyond like I work hard and I'm nice to people and I'm good. And that's why I'm here. That's what mm-hmm. got me here. Like I have done the right things at every turn and that's all I've got. And so then when those, you know, like right when, when she those started get getting hit with these question. criticisms, exactly. When that gets called, when like her worldview started getting like poked and prodded at mm-hmm. and she by extension started, started getting poked and prodded at, then she just like had to fully retreat, you know, for like 
two years or whatever, because it was the most totally self-altering experience. And it it's like it can make Enneagram ones really frustrating to interact with because they have such a solid and rigid view of how the world is and should operate that the rest of the world doesn't usually or necessarily share. Mm -hmm. And they can be these great altruistic people at their best and really do so much to help humanity and stand up for what's right. Like the manifestation, I think what we're really seeing is that the long arc of progress, right? Like if all of this is to get to this point where she is doing this Herculean effort to both stand up for what she feels is rightfully hers, but also create a new architecture for artists and the ownership mm -hmm. of their music. That's like the best arc for a one. That's like using your self-righteous anger to benefit humanity, create something better for the world that you've come from. But we've had a lot of stumbling blocks along the way because it's like people – the general populace, even us as deep fans of Taylor, don't always agree with her sense of what is right and wrong. Like, especially when all the Kanye stuff was going on and that with the phone call pre-reputation and stuff like that, mm -hmm. it wasn't clear if Taylor was right. You know, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't clear who was right and who was wrong, if there is a right and wrong in, in any situation. But it can be pretty complicated. And we think about like the two songs that are to Kanye, right? So we have mm -hmm. um, Innocent, Innocent and we have This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. She has adopted this tone in both of those songs that to me is very grating and I think pretty problematic about like she's really talking down. Mm -hmm. You know, like she's coming from this above place to be like first in Innocent, like I think it's coming from a really compassionate place, but mm -hmm. it can also be really twisted as like, you're still an innocent, you're still growing up. Trust yes. me, you'll figure it out when you get here. And I that's just always kind of rubbed me the wrong way of like, mm -hmm. you don't need to spill this ink over something like this. It's just better to cap it and move on. But that's very one of like, let me bestow upon you what is right. Yes. And I think it can get interpreted as something... I don't know. And it's just, yeah, it becomes so, she was so hyper-focused on all of that stuff to a point where, and I think this is like a real one trait, like she was so hyper-focused on the like right or wrongness of what had happened that she refused to like see any nuance there, you know, like, and there were like a lot of very legitimate criticisms that were like, why is Taylor Swift talking to a black man about this? And in this right. way, like here, and there was never any, and to still to this day, like, that's never really been part of the narrative that she has gone into. And I think we saw that even recently with that, like Ginny and Georgia tweet, which was so stupid. It was, I mean, like they had tweeted in the show, somebody makes a joke. That's like, you go through yeah. men faster than Taylor Swift. And she like screenshots it, tweets it. And is like, what a bad look is this 2009? Like, why are we still making these jokes? And it was like, well, now your army of fans is going after this girl who's like, a nobody actress on like a Netflix original show, which like you don't really need to do, but like she really gets so she like has this worldview. She becomes so hyper-focused and there is like no, there's no reality outside of the reality that she has. And sometimes that's like really frustrating to watch her do. And just know? when you're like, this isn't what's best for you. Like I think my no. feeling as a fan is, has been always like, you don't need to sling your arrows at every apple or whatever. I don't no, know. Yeah. <laughs> but like you, it's not worth your arrows. Like 
you don't need to call that stuff out. But I think we think of a song like even like The Archer, where she's legitimately yes. singing arrows, also related to her sign as a Sagittarius. Yeah. But the fact that like you don't need to pick up every battle, it mm-hmm. makes you weaker to do that, actually. Totally. And I think that's that's a lot of what she's speaking about in the song The Archer is that in her most intimate relationships, sometimes she picks fights mm-hmm. when they don't need to be. Right. When there's yeah, and no I think, winning. Mm-hmm. Boxing with a true love is like fighting with no gloves. Oh, I have so much to say about that line. Um, um, anyways, I think there's also a real thing happening here with like another thing about ones is that they really like show you the work, you know, there's no like, and I'll talk about this mm-hmm. in a second about the threes versus ones, but like with ones, there's no uh, veil of ease in front of their like entire self. It's really like, let me show you the receipts. Like, let me tell you about how hard I worked to get here. Like, let me make it clear to you that I am here because I worked hard again. Right. Like this real, like lack of intrinsic value. But I think that's another thing that can become really like, is sometimes really great with Taylor. I'm like, yeah, you did work really hard. Like, this is so nice. And it's so great to see this like long arc that you're doing, but also in the same way that you're saying, I think that's something that can become a really grating I really get that you did the work. I really, truly understand it. And like Miss Americana was just like the story of a one, you know, like Mm -hmm. this real, that entire God, except for all of the parts where they were making me, because I don't know what happened there. Um, (laughs) I cannot believe they highlighted that in that entire movie. That was painful. But the whole thing of that was just like really, I mean, she read her diaries in that thing and every, every single thing as like a child was this deep, drive to be good, this deep fear of letting people down, Mm -hmm. this really like rigid, hypercritical, perfectionist, Mm -hmm. abject terror at the thought of making a mistake, not partially because she doesn't want to be wrong, but partially because then she is seen making a mistake. And like the act of making a mistake is almost bigger than the mistake itself, because then that is all about how she relates to herself, how other people relate to her. That's scarier to her, I think, than the then whatever actually happens or whatever she actually does wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think just to get into threes a little bit and why yeah. people often mistype her or just the broad internet categorizes her as a three. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read some of this one versus three comparison and how Ooh, they can often please. mistype. So if we think of average ones as idealists, what's really important to them is striving for perfection and order in every area of their lives, especially their emotional lives, in an effort to control both themselves and their environment so that errors and failures of all sorts will not be introduced. I mean, that's really what you were just talking about. And this strong perfectionist desire in Taylor is something we've always known about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're inner motivated by strong consciousness. <laughs> And they are organized and efficient to not waste time and other resources and to not allow others the ability to rebuke them for being imperfect, for not trying hard enough, or for being guilty of some form of selfishness. We see that all the time with Taylor, just like you were talking about. So threes, by contrast, are the achiever. So they are people who are interested in world domination kind of however they Mm -hmm. see fit i mean you probably live with tons of threes and they're the the all a student you know like they're the rachel berries of the world um (laughs) very motivated very high achieving 
your CEOs, your lots of celebrities who are threes, but it's not, it's a little bit interesting because what they are truly driven by isn't necessarily the work. It's the achieving. Yes. It's the achieving the the recognition mm -hmm. that comes with sometimes like, I think a one is really rooted in being like, I'm going to make the best work possible so that no one no one can claim that I'm anything but perfect, yes. right? Threes are like, I want people to think I'm perfect and I don't really care how I get there. Mm-hmm. So a lot like, of politicians- Like I will do the work because I want to be perfect. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be perfect, right? Which like is a little bit what ones are doing, but they need to see the work as perfect too. Yes. Threes, by contrast, are really efficient pragmatists, not necessarily idealists. They're driven by their goals more than by standards. They care more about getting the job done than the particulars of how it gets done. Ones are more attached to particular methods or procedures. This is the best way to do this. While threes are more adaptable and will change tactics quickly if they feel they're not getting their desired results. Average threes are primarily interested in success, prestige, advancing their careers, and the efficiency we see in them is a way of attaining these goals. So I think that this is really where people get tripped up Mm -hmm. and think that Taylor's a three and even what makes me think that sometimes she could be a three is this malleability and this moving target of like what you want I'll be it the whole mirror ball thing yeah of like anything you want me to be I can be it you didn't like me as country I'll be pop Mm -hmm. You didn't like my curly hair. I'll have straight hair. You said I wasn't cool enough. I'll like drop the bass. Like Mm -hmm. whatever. I want to prove to you that I can be that and I will make you love me. And I'm a chameleon. I'm a mirror ball. I can be anything you want me to be. And her reason for doing all of that is her pursuit of the highest humanly success possible. Like Mm -hmm. I really do think that's motivating Taylor. Like we know that. As people who have been there since the beginning, I think one of the greatest motivations for Taylor is racking up, literally, honestly, I don't know anyone more focused on awards than she is. Yeah. Like getting every award possible to validate her work, validate like what she has meant to music in the industry, what just in all dominions, she wants to be the most awarded ever. And Mm -hmm. those kind of motivations are what makes me see the three in her. And I think what people often are like, because she is, she's an incredibly savvy businesswoman. She has constructed her career to be this mega pop star and win all these awards and stuff in her twenties, which was really Mm -hmm. the only time she could do that as a woman is like when she's hot and young and in her twenties to be a massive pop star, to win the biggest awards that you can win for those things. Like she can't do that when she's 40. I mean, she's Taylor Swift, so we'll see, but likely just this whole life architected around how she can win the most. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is very three. Yeah. And I think ultimately what like tips it over for me, though, is the line in Mirabal, honestly, where she's like, I've never been a natural. All I do is try, try, try. I'm still on this trapeze. I'm still trying everything to get you laughing at me. You know, like it's a real It is motivation and she is so like annoyingly to me obsessed with like album of the year and like these accolades and like selling out the most stadiums in the fastest amount of time and like doing these things and like getting these awards and having people vote for her for this and that is that is really three and I see how she would be typed as three but ultimately I think it's because like 
it's like she does want to be famous, clearly, but I think she wants to be not awarded so much as like recognized for her work and recognized for what she creates and not like recognized for being recognized, which I think is where, where the three, it turns to three. Um, Something I I was thinking about though, and I wanted to get your take on is like something that I do see as a three though, is all of the reinventions and all of the, like every era, a new one. And like, you know, I just don't know. uh, I, I was reading, I was on Reddit. I was on Enneagram Reddit. And that was also like a big argument for, the three was that, you know, she uses new producers on this album or like changes her sound or changes her hair or whatever. But in some ways I do still see that as part of her being a one because it's not that like throughout all of that, she still maintains this really rigid internal structure and this really rigid like self structure and worldview. And then like the externalities get prodded and that's what then changes the next thing. And I think the only time that we've seen that really actually hit her all the way was like we were talking about with that Kanye stuff when like Mm -hmm. then her like deepest fears and deepest desires were like lived out on stage right totally just like frayed wire yeah I think to me I I completely agree how all of these things that we can see as this like me like me like me look at me whatever I think that the truth of of Taylor Swift is that the thing that she believes in the most is and has always been the work, you know, from the beginning. And I think that the motivation behind the chameleon eras and genre shifting and all of that has to been like, I think her deepest fear is that people will hate her in spite of the the work. Yeah. That yeah. people won't like her and that they won't see the work for what it's worth, that they will think totally. that she's bad. So they won't even give the work the time of day. And I think that her genre shifting is an attempt to be like, look at how it can move and change and it Mm -hmm. can be anything you want. But us, the real fans know there is this core DNA that flows through the entire body of work that makes it a holistic piece. Like it's all one, even Mm -hmm. if on the surface, like, right. She's one album of the year three times for three albums in three different genres. Mm hmm. But they are all Taylor Swift albums. Yes. And I think the truth of it, which we can even see in like debut and fearless is that and back up to folklore is that she really enjoys a challenge. Clearly, we've seen in the last 10 years of shifting all these genres. But the truth of Taylor Swift is that she's a singer songwriter. And I think if it weren't for the criticisms and need to prove herself which in some ways I'm grateful for because we've gotten all these amazing, different, unique albums. I kind of think her truth is that she would have continued to write pretty straight up and down singer songwritery. Totally. Yeah. Music. Yeah. hundred percent. Her motivation to do otherwise was to prove the strength of her voice, the strength of her work, not to reach global celebrity, but to get her art. Yes. To be seen for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that too in the way that her collaborators talk about her, you know, like mm-hmm. even like thinking about Jack, thinking about Aaron Dessner, thinking about Max Martin, thinking about like Liz Rose, you know, all through that's also been a through line is that every single person she works with is like, I have never interacted with anybody in this industry or outside of it who works as hard as she does mm-hmm. and who is willing to like, you know, just create as prolifically as she does. 
Um, and it also points to her deep anxiety that we've heard her talk yeah. about so much on folklore and evermore. Um, just about that. She is scared that the people she um, looks up to the most in the music industry won't want to work with her. Yes. So she's like, basically she loves Bon Iver. So she's like, how can I create an album close enough to something that Bon Iver might like so that Bon Iver will work with me, which like we can all look at as like, you're Taylor Swift. Like you are yeah. incredibly talented. You don't need to fit a round peg into a square hole of a hipster man that lives in Wisconsin for him to want to work with you. You know, like that's stupid Mm -hmm. and frustrating, but it just speaks to these deep insecurities she has about just people hating her. Yeah. It's a little, they're not unfounded. Yeah. And I think that also really like thinking even back to like the way she talked about herself in high school and like, people not liking her Mm -hmm. and stuff. And then also these conflicting reports from people who she went to high school with who were like, she wasn't like really bullied, you know, like she maybe wasn't that like popular. This narrative that she's presenting isn't really the one that we experienced with her. But again, like one, she has this idea of herself that is like driven by fear that people won't like her and won't see her for who she is. And two, she operates in one perception of herself and sees everything else through that lens, you know? So if her lens is that like people don't like her and her fear is that people don't like her, then she was going to be unpopular in high school. Again and again. Right. That's like, right. That's the therapy like nexus that she would boil down to. If she went to therapy, which she says she doesn't admit it. I know. It's like, girl, please, please go to therapy. Please. Do you think she's scared that if she goes to therapy, she won't be able to write songs? Probably. Yeah, which is so dumb. I really, really like, don't think that's true for her, especially. But that's like that a, was crazy. A, the to energy me. of like depression, romanticizing Tumblr era. That's really like she was on Tumblr too much. That was I was shocked that when she was like, "Yeah, I don't, I never gone to therapy." I was like, "But that to me seems like she like that." Also, can be read as a little bit one of like I'm oh, totally. so scared of my framework of the world being crumbled that like I won't let anybody else like yes tend to the caulking of the bricks. Yeah. Nope. It's only me. It's only me. I'm the constant gardener of my bricks. <laughs> I garden my bricks. I tend to my grudges like little pets. I think this last part of the one versus three comparison is also very apt that while both types tend to put their feelings aside for the sake of efficiency and and achievement, threes are more able to mask whatever is bothering them. On the surface, they rarely appear emotionally disturbed for long enough by anything. They'll never let people see chinks in their armor, essentially, even if they feel them privately. And they're not distracted by their feelings. Um, They invest most of their energy into achieving their goals and staying focused on that single-mindedly and presenting a perfect golden boy girl exterior and then we have ones who are way less able to conceal their irritations and disappointments others are almost immediately aware of their agitation i think of like even the 1989 album of the year acceptance speech of the Grammys. yeah oh yeah taylor was like yeah 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 this award i got another one and then was like there will be people who will try to take away your success and, and it is yours yeah. and women it is yours which like so much of that is true and also it was like it it wasn't even really about winning the award it was about no. sticking it to 
these real real issues that absolutely exist in the industry. Yeah. But then that, that was the that focus yeah. that this mm-hmm. was like, I am going to stake my claim. And I think that's a perfect illustration of why she's a one and not a three. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Threes are like easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. <laughs> also just and so the- funny. <laughs> just that um, they say the differences between these types can be seen by comparing Al Gore, who's a one, and Bill Clinton, who's a three, which is so Bill okay. Clinton, totally easy breezy cover girl. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just because Taylor once had a, a product placement with cover girl. Um, not mean does easy, not mean breezy. she's... Mm-mm. No, in fact, the opposite. Yeah, she is has never been easy, breezy, beautiful. I mean, that's rude. She's been beautiful, but she's never been easy or breezy in her life. <laughs> I can't wait for her to collab with Al Gore on a song. He gets to be yeah. next Nathan Chapman. He'll <laughs> do like whale sounds. <laughs> oh, my God. It'll be an Earth Day morning. drop. Should we talk about April 30th? Let's please. I'm oh hyped. My God. It's I'm five hyped. days away. I just, I really, I, as you can see in our shared note document, really took some, took some notes. Yeah. Um, I, I just rewatched a lot of the um, TikToks we have sent back and forth. Um, Thank God, because I tried to do a quick Google just for like a summary yeah. before this um, pod session. And none of your, none of the outlets, the classic outlets, like none of your Hello Giggles, none of your Refinery29. Does Hello Giggles even publish I don't anymore? Know. No, they don't. <laughs> Actually, they, they are in my building and they're closed, I think. But um, oh, sad. that none of them yeah. are, are talking. They all have articles about like back in December when people were like, Woodvale, eek, eek, eek. Well, maybe um, I, I I have to rescind my claim that everyone on the internet knows about this, I, I guess. I think it might be. I think it might be our corner of TikTok. But <sighs> TikTok, 2021 TikTok is 2013 Tumblr. Yes. Oh, and, my God. But better. But I yes, mean, so much thank better. God. Yeah, this is really, this This feels, watching, watching TikToks over the past, like, week or two has really... Um, put me in a regression to um, being on Tumblr in eighth grade, ninth grade. It's not a regression, Hannah. It's an integration. So yeah, let's talk about April 30th. So as we talked about last week, we were discussing the 1989 re-record. And while I still think that that could be in the running, there's been some weird shit going on lately. Taylor is stirring the fucking pot. Weird shit. Aquarius, Venus, weird shit. (laughs) Court jesters are bouncing around. Uh, Everyone's got a breadstick. (laughs) (laughs) She did eat an Olive Garden with Esty. Yeah, so just a quick kind of rundown of what's been going on in in the Taylor Swift universe. So, yes, back in December, when Evermore came out, um, everyone was like, is there going to be a third album? Because the thing that really instigated this was that Taylor, on the cover of... It's a Target exclusive, but you can see on there the words Woodvale in the same font and like everything. And so everyone collectively pooped their pants just all at <laughs> a once. A collective pooping. Um, and everyone was like, oh my God, Woodvale, third album, it's happening. To the point that Taylor then addressed it on like Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel. Kimmel or something. And she had like, to go on TV. Guys, it was just a mock-up because I'm really secretive. And so accidentally we forgot to take it off. <laughs> like, it was like supposedly like the code me. name forevermore. Yes. Like while they were doing it. Which to some degree, I'm like, that is such a blatant fuck up. Yes. In a way that like 
we've talked about the terrible graphic design on our fearless re-record. So like maybe it's possible, but also it's like Taylor doesn't fuck with that. Like she doesn't, she wouldn't let that slip. It's just classic her to have it embedded in one of the secret ones to be coming. Like I will say one vote for the theory of, no, there isn't going to be another one. Is that Woodville's a really stupid name? I yeah, if it's Woodville, I'll be upset. <laughs> Woodville is a really, really bad name. But I, I was. I'm not sure if you were 100. percent I think you were. But like when all of this came out, I was like a thousand percent. There's a third album. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Everything because there was checks all this out. Other shit. Because the three cardigans. The, Woodville, the, the three, three cardigans. Scrunchies. The three scrunchies. Everything in her merch shop. It was in sets of three, and it was color coded so we saw that like evermore was red folklore was green and then there was a third thing in every set that was blue what the fuck is blue and all the cardigans had three stars on the arm yeah. why are there three like and again and the three confettis that come i did order mm-hmm. a shirt from taylorswift.com and three different confettis came in it it was silver gold and blue yeah and well again like taylor is calculated out of her, she's not, she doesn't fuck up. There's no reason, there's no world in which she just thought it would be cute to have three colors and to have two of them correspond with an album and then have a third blue one just for fun because she likes it. makes us sound like psychopaths, but we are not. (laughs) We have just been trained and inculcated in this kind of way of noticing things. And it's like, once you've been in the pattern of this for literally 10 plus years... Yes, you know because then you get the hindsight, the and then it, are. yes, when you're I on Tumblr so many in 2012, <laughs> uh, when you're on Tumblr in 2012, then you, whenever the album drops, you get all the master five holes in the fence. <laughs> there were five holes. Reputation was written on the side of the plane. Oh, so this is, it does sound psychotic. I recognize that. I do understand that we sound unhinged, but, but we we're are legitimately sane. not. <laughs> we're insane. So some other things that have been happening that fall into the we sound insane category. First up, the Cowboy Like Me lyric video. In that lyric video, there's a stack of three books. On top of the third book is a clock. <laughs> the clock is set to 4.30. Next one, lots of weird tweets on Instagram lately, sets of three emojis, three exclamation marks or exclamation points or question marks, um, three words. Like there's one where she says, well, well, well. Another one, this one is actually convincing, (laughs) is that Evermore was released 140 days after Folklore. April 30th is 140 days after Evermore, and it's a Friday, which is release day. And it's on the clock, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 4.30 on the clock, and it's 4.30 like why again in the music videos okay so i'll give you one psychotic one and one actually helpful one psychotic one um in an interview with jimmy kimmel when she released evermore taylor randomly brought up cartwheels and april 29th is national cartwheel day she says it's coming tomorrow on april 29th Mm -hmm. right Um, and she does a cartwheel she announces her third album while doing a cartwheel in an instagram live on april 29th (laughs) <laughs> and it drops April 30th. You heard it here first. 
Okay, but this is actually, we we both sent each other the exact same TikTok, like three minutes apart, but this one is actually really convincing to me. The music videos, so Cardigan ends with this like kind of screechy sound, and it's not part of the actual song. It's just in the music video. And then that is what is in the intro of the Willow music video. Again, also not part of the actual song, just in the music video. Willow ends with this piano part that If you listen to the song Willow, you don't hear that piano part, but you do hear it in the outro of the music video. So everybody's like the third. And also in that one, she at the end of that music video, she like steps out into a garden or something. And the same kind of like stepping into and out of a thing is how Cardigan ends Willow starts. Right. Go like the the, the next music video. The next next one. It's a direct lead piano things. And honestly, that's not even like it's a it's a great analytical proof yeah and it's also like i thought that from the second i saw the willow music video like Mm -hmm. we're leaving the cabin to go somewhere else we've got this piano i remember hearing that and being like okay that's gonna be our tie-in also aren't they pulling the glowing rope outside with them the glowing rope yes, that's that trailed was us in through the, both. Through both. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Why wouldn't they just leave? They would leave the glowing rope in the cabin. Yes, the glowing rope would not come with. My favorite also um, unhinged um, TikTok I saw was like, let's talk about her braids. First of all, oh, yes, you I know thought. how many strands are in a braid? Three. And they drop it like they're like, mm, can't argue with that. <laughs> They've um, never seen a fishtail braid. <laughs> Or those Pinterest ones that have like six pieces. Yeah, the oh my god, remember when everyone Hunger Games came out and Pinterest lost its collective mind with braids? Yeah, the Pinterest to Taylor Swift conspiracy theorist pipeline. Pre folklore, she started wearing the braid buns in public appearances and stuff. Pre evermore, she started wearing the French braids. Now she's doing two little braids. So people think that this is like a a little heads up for us. But but it's really true, like. Taylor Swift hairstyles always signify yes. a new era. The oh. mystery, the, the disappeared Bleachella era. But Ultimately, though, what's your vote? Like, I I am legitimately losing my mind. I feel crazy. What I'm going to say is that I want to talk about, okay, A, of course, if she drops an album, the third one. Mm-hmm. So exciting. Will be Thrilling. amazing. Will be summery. Will be blue. Mm-hmm. Will be... Like vaccinated, <laughs> we'll be out of the cabin, right? I wonder what like the vibe for the music will be. Like, will mm-hmm. it truly be another folklore evermore, which are slightly sonically different but definitely cut from the same cloth? Will it be another one of those? Will it deviate a little bit more? Will it be mm-hmm. a little bit more summer? Could it be like a little Joni? Like, we're in the flower fields mm-hmm. now, we're less bony bear in wintertime, and we're more like falsetto doing cool light airy yeah flower power things we're more women (laughs) (laughs) um but i think my my thing that i'm really feeling is this fear of Mm -hmm. like i you the real ones will gladly take another album yeah but i'm a little bit worried with like with folklore and evermore already it's like i think evermore is an absolutely fantastic album Mm -hmm. and i think it already has gotten like a little bit shunned because it's not like the first child. It's not a singular entity. Mm-hmm. I think folklore has so much more of the streams for this era than Evermore. Yeah. And Evermore is amazing. Like, I'm so glad we have it. Yes. But I'm just a little bit worried if like her whole issue was that she became so overexposed during like the 1989 yeah. era because people loved it. 
This seems like the most exposure literally possible for any human artist to drop a double album in quarantine that is soon to become a triple album while mm-hmm. re-recording your entire discography within the span of what seems to be a year, one calendar mm-hmm. year, just seems like an immense amount of exposure that I don't know if any artist can take, let alone one like Taylor Swift. And part of me is like, that's so stupid. Like, I don't want to have to think about that and be fearful mm-hmm. for all these things because like, fuck it. Like ultimately at the end of the day, truly fuck it. And I think that's what yeah. has made me so excited about the folklore evermore era is that she does seem less focused on like winning every award humanly possible, getting all the streams mm-hmm. humanly possible. Like we didn't have an album rollout cycle. She just was like, I'm mm-hmm. writing this stuff. I'm having fun writing this stuff. I'm going to release it. And the people will come if they want to and if they don't, whatever. And it's not so focused on touring. So part of me is like, I would be over the moon to have another Taylor Swift album. Mm -hmm. And it makes me sad that I need to be scared to get the thing that I want. And yet I kind of feel that way. I know, especially that's, I hadn't thought about that really, but I'm thinking now about her, just like her response to the general public's response to the Fearless re-record drop. And she has been really like, retweeting a lot of stuff, reposting a lot of stuff about like the statistics for the album, which I do understand because I think, I mean, like this is unprecedented for like right. an artist. It's history. To, nobody who's ever re-recorded their discography or even like an album or a song has done it to this level of success. So I get that. But I also, it makes me nervous because like, I fully agree in the folklore evermore era, it has been like so exciting to see her removed from that and to see her just like create things to create them and then like put them out and have people really like it. And she's like happy that they like it, but mostly like that doesn't seem to be what's driving her. And so I worry that with the kind of mindset shift that is coming with the re-releases, if she re- if she just drops like a fully new thing, then like mm-hmm. what is her attitude about that going to be? And how is that going to color the also like the quality of the hypothetical music that may or may not exist that we're discussing. <laughs> also, it's really interesting because I feel like it's a little bit weird to have this like artist in the woods, just doing what she feels, just writing the songs that she wants and not giving a fuck energy that we've had in folklore mm-hmm. and evermore cross pollinate with yeah. the re-records, which is very like strategic businesswoman, like on a mission out there to take back, What's yeah. hers? Like fight the good fight. Just and she Scorpio, has publicly said that like she's done energy. with with that like with the folklore and Evermore stuff. Has like, she said which, that? Yeah, she after um Evermore dropped. I think it, she in like a couple of interviews said something to the effect of like uh, somebody was like, "When's your next album coming?" Like a, a talk show host or something, and she was like, "Great question. Like I don't know. I'm really tired." Um, so which could be her like playing her little games and going with <laughs> us like little mice like it she's the crazy cat. that she went on national television to be like there is no third i album. know i do feel like if anyone can pull that off can come back from it and be like haha that's a third album it's taylor swift i know and also it's like oh it just feels my my fun. my normal brain is like okay hannah like think about this there's like been so much stuff about the 1989 like blue is also could be 1989 like there's a track list that was leaked with like the six bonus tracks there's like the shazam thing about wildest dreams now being like included and then my little walnut brain is like there's a third album and like it's gonna be like she's gonna be like 
you know, I went on Jimmy Kimmel and I thought about making a third album and I was just And then like, I decided. I have some free time between my re-records. Well, Why also, not? God, in the, she just tweeted about like one of the things about how Fearless had done. She was like, I've been in the studio recording the next one and everyone's like, well, she didn't say re-recording. She said recording. So it's got to be a new well, talk album. talk about the grid. Talk about the grid. Oh, yeah. Well, also, that's the other thing. So when she's released both Folklore and Evermore, she did, like, if you go look at her Instagram, there's like a big like three by three of the album cover itself broken up into like nine individual photos and then there has been like three additional I think it's either two or three I don't remember um posts announcing the album like with the track list in- included talking about collaborators like the the basically like the front the back and the the title track of the album um and right now her feed is lined up to fit another drop in that style. So if she just now dumped that many photos, it would like work with her grid, which like she cares about her grid. And apparently I do too. (laughs) So what are we going to do? Like, what are our thoughts? What are our thoughts if it doesn't happen? What are the things we think it could also be? What if literally nothing happens? I mean, then she's just like a criminal mastermind. I don't know. But also like that feels fully reasonable. I think that the the rational part of my brain says that the most likely thing that is going to happen is that on the 29th, she will announce the 1989 re-record release date of like June 6th or whatever we said it was last week. Mm-hmm. June 5th, I think is what it was. And then she will announce that tomorrow, the 30th, Wildest Dreams is going to come out. And that's what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. Mouse brain. Mouse brain says Woodvale. <laughs> So, okay, give paint me a picture of what Woodvale is to you or what the third one. We have blue. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. like, give me summer. Yeah, it's like the happy parts of Call Me By Your Name. That's the <laughs> I like, pray. that's the energy I'm, I'm imagining. I, I want, want like, like Ivy Plus, Gold Rush Plus. I want Cruel Summer, but make it like a little bit pluckier, mm. like less produced. Mm. Um, that's what I want. I want some like insane vaccinated energy. I want some like. But do you think like do you think Evermore folklore era is capable of giving us like ins- insane? I don't know. Energy? I mean, I can also imagine though that like this isn't. Maybe it's not going to be a sister album sonically quite as much. Like it's just like the era of COVID, it's, right? Like, and I think it could be like which would maybe kind be of similar. more interesting. Honestly, just yeah, in a way of yeah. like. Not to get, not this fear about like people getting bored. Yes, fully. Yeah. I think like whenever we have our folklore and evermore episodes, we'll talk about this. But I think like for me, evermore, evermore has some songs that I really love, but evermore as an album, like I needed it because I need everything that Taylor Swift like produces and drops. Um, but I want her to do something different. I want her to move beyond, Mm -hmm. even if it's only like slightly and only, you know, in pieces, I want her to move a little bit beyond that, like sonic place into something slightly different. Well, let's like, okay. If we think about, remember when we like first listened to Evermore comparing it to folklore, now they kind of just all mishmash on my head. Yeah. Now they're one album basically. But I remember when we listened, like folklore set the tone of like, we're in Mm -hmm. this new era. It's this new vibe. When we heard Evermore, we were like, okay, this is like taking, 
taking folklore sonically those kind of vibes and mm-hmm. mishmashing them with like country early Taylor. Yeah. With totally. the whole like truck tires on mm-hmm. um, Damn Season mm-hmm. and like just more country sound. Cowboy Like Me is a country Cowboy song. Cowboy Like Me, and, yeah. And like uh, Nobody No Crime is a country song. Right, exactly. Like so we were like this is countryified folklore vibes. Well that's really interesting because so then, then we, we, we get, get like, fearless also oh, yeah. like and so and this is maybe and yeah so like <laughs> maybe that that actually does make it make more sense to me oh my because- god tiktok you better be listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah i mean i yeah i think we just really had a galaxy we should make moment. a tiktok you <laughs> we should make a tiktok because yeah if, yeah if fearless should. it was that and then like what if this blue one now is like more lover 1989 Right, I think that would make sense. Folklore, exactly, because we just got we got pure folklore, and then we got folklore X country, and then we got fearless, and now if we get folklore X pop, and then we get 1989, and think about like, don't you like how I talked about how much I liked that? That is 1989, like a 1989 styling. Mm -hmm. If that's like our taster, I mean, now I'm getting hyped up about it. I know that might not exist, but that would be so cool. Oh man. Oh, I'm also just like one of my favorite brands, Doen, released all these blues for their summer collection that Mm. look like exactly like what Taylor's wearing. And I'm like, she wore a Doen thing for the Evermore, the last one. And it's like, I could see perfect blue outfits for this. I guess whatever happens, we'll see what happens next week with you on the pod. We're all in it together. Even if it's nothing. Yeah, we're all psychically linked. Us, our listeners, Taylor Swift. And if you the have person theories, on TikTok, will you please reach out to us? Yeah, uh, it's just the two of us in here, and we're, we're exploding a little bit. If so you think we please. could be right, I'm maybe at, you should make a TikTok at Mad Warsh on on Instagram. You can find me there, please. All right, well, waiting with we bated really, breath yeah. until April thirtieth. Collectively, we'll see you next week when who knows what will have happened to us. Okay, genuinely, who knows. <laughs> In love and Taylor Swift. Goodbye.